gospel reading today is from John chapter 20, and I'll be reading verses 19 just through 23. That'll be enough for us today. Hear the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What has always amazed me about competitive swimming is the power of the breath. Last March at the NCAA Championships in North Carolina, our youngest son, Colin, was on the first place 200-yard medley relay team for Denison University. He swam all 50 yards of the butterfly stroke down and back the entire length of the pool in 21.1 seconds and took one breath. Sometimes I would watch him swim in wonder and think, do I even breathe the same air he breathes? I mean, there's normal breath. And there's breathing like you're going to do something, like you're going to be something. Most of us, unless we are trained singers or athletes, actually take very shallow breaths. Maybe we even take breathing for granted, except for those near miraculous and holy breath moments. A mother who waits for her newborn child to draw her first breath a loved one leaning down to feel the beloved take their very last breath in this world. Rare occasions of awe and wonder at the power of the breath, at the sheer pleasure of breathing in and out. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and that means not just human beings, but animals and fish and whales and birds and trees and plants and oceans living, breathing, and praising God. In the very first verses of the Bible, we hear that when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form, and it was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. The word wind, the same Hebrew word for breath or spirit. And then in Genesis 2, we read the Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's 
breath into his nostrils. The human being came to life. There's breathing and there's breathing. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, God leads the prophet to a valley of dry bones with this very odd instruction, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. I'm about to put breath in you and you will live again. Come from the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. And you know, as Ezekiel prophesied, the dry bones came to life in a vast multitude formed, a potent symbol of the resurrection to come. There's breathing, and there's breathing like you're going to do something and like you're going to be something. Today we are perhaps more aware than ever of both the potency and the fragility of human breath. When the coronavirus appeared across the world and then too close to home, it made itself known by taking away breath, particularly for our elderly and immune suppressed. And suddenly we heard of the shortage of ventilators in hospitals to help people breathe. And we became so self-conscious of who we are breathing on and, and who is breathing on us. And now we stay home as much as we can and we cover our faces with masks in public even when it's uncomfortable or hot because breathing is life. And we're working together to preserve the breath of our most vulnerable. On that first Easter evening, as darkness again descended, John tells us that the vulnerable and traumatized disciples are gathered behind locked doors, and that Jesus came to them just as they were, and didn't chastise them for how they were feeling, for what they were doing, or, or for what they hadn't done. Instead, he said, peace be with you, and showed them his hands and his side, and then he said again to make sure they heard it, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, and then... And this is a little different wording from the message translation. And then it says he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do? With them. It seems that as part of the mission, the disciples are sent in particular to forgive sins. That they didn't just receive the peace, they weren't just sent out to do the good works Jesus had been doing. That Jesus is summing up here the very essence of what it means to be sent into the world as God sent him. Remember, the first witness to Jesus given in the gospel comes from John the baptizer who declares him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that mission, that very mission of Jesus is now the ongoing mission of his friends to the extent that his friends refuse the mission, the sins of others 
remain and to the extent that his breath is breathing in them, sin of the world is taken away. Jesus breathed, sending his life energy to his disciples and to us. And this is the one time you might want to inhale deeply. While it's true that the Holy Spirit can come to us in overwhelming and dramatic ways, the Spirit can also come to us in the simplest, most overlooked manner in the very act of breathing. Breathing is underrated as a Christian spiritual discipline, but teaching people to pray is in large part teaching them how to breathe as a first step because it has a way of focusing the mind and the heart when you breathe in and breathe out audibly, deeply, distractions melt away and there is space for God to reach you. Today, I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit is as near to you as your very next breath. That insight and wisdom, that courage and vitality, that even the ability to forgive is available to you through the simple act of breathing as you let your breath become prayer and opening to God's Spirit behind locked doors where fears abound breath remains available to us jesus is in the business of meeting people where they are regardless of locked doors jesus sensed the dark and trying circumstances had left his friends breathless had left them wondering if the savior was crucified would the authorities come for them too so Jesus greets them with the words, peace be with you, and then he breathes on them and he breathes in them. Jesus is breathing peace and he invites us to do the same. The Desert Fathers, monastic Christians in Egypt in the third and fourth centuries often prayed the prayer many of us know as the Kyrie eleison. The Greek words we sung earlier today, Lord have mercy. These words are also called the Jesus Prayer when they are pronounced as Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is a prayer that can be prayed in one cycle of long inhale and exhale. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is a breath prayer. It's a way to focus on one thought and one phrase that melts distractions away and creates space for God to reach us and reconnects us to our creator. Sometimes you have to stay with the breath, with the simple prayer until the chatter settles down inside your soul and you take in the silence. That kind of prayer can be used throughout the day, be used in those moments where you can't sleep be used when you're feeling anxiety or fear, distress, or frustration, that intentional slowing of your breath, that inhaling and exhaling deeply as your pulse softens, as your mind and your heart receive oxygen. It's an invitation to pause and to receive guidance. When you have a decision to make, 
to exhale a word of thanks and gratitude, to breathe a prayer to God if you can't forgive, that the Lord would help you to forgive. The Lord would breathe in you forgiveness and the peace of Christ in the darkest times of your day. In a remote corner of Puerto Rico, there is a bay that people visit on dark nights to see these um, tiny biolescent, bioluminescent, I think, organisms. And their chemical energy of these tiny little organisms is released in the form of light, and it makes them glow in complete darkness. Several years ago, before the hurricane, I joined a bunch of other travelers, about 25 of us, pushing out into the dark water on kayaks, a bit skeptical we would actually see any water light up. Our guide warned us we'd need to be about halfway into the bay before we'd notice that our paddles would create ripples of light in the water. It sounded crazy. Sure enough, though, an almost universal intake of breath was heard as 10 kayaks trailed light behind them in the dark water. Lighting up is a defense mechanism of these organisms, meaning the water has to be moving for it to work. So trailing a hand in the water, it was like picking up liquid sparkles that quickly disappeared. Sitting motionless for a few minutes, we could see the outline of fish swimming underneath a sky filled with more stars than I have ever seen. It was a sacred experience. And many people were silently in awe as they moved through the water. The darkness, though, was a precondition to see the light. To me, it was not unlike following Jesus. I had to understand myself as a, a sinner before I could embrace forgiveness. I had to encounter enough of the world's darkness to long for the light. And it is only by moving and dipping my hand in the water of life and paddling away when I cannot see what is ahead, that I catch even a glimpse of God's glory, a sparkle of God's goodness, an outline of the infinite love revealed on earth through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There was one woman sitting behind me on the bus on the way back as we returned to the bay from the parking lot, and she was what you might call a loud talker. So I got to hear her entire conversation, including her comment to her friend that she didn't think any of it was a big deal. It was just a dark lake. As followers of the risen Jesus, we all have to guard against the skepticism and crustiness that can seep in through the cracks in our otherwise blessed, though somewhat isolated existence. If we aren't seeing the amazing nature of God's glory and goodness, even now, and if our eyes are closed to God's blessings, we, not, we might need to breathe more slowly, to take time to focus on the basics, breathing in, breathing out, praying, spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. I recently read a book, which is a series of dialogues between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, and it's called The Book of Joy. Both of these men have had incredible trials, and they somehow find joy. And when the Archbishop Tutu was speaking in the book, he said, discovering more joy does not, I'm sorry to say, save us 
from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. He said, in fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard inside. We have heartbreak without being broken. In times of crisis, we need examples of individuals who face suffering with God, breathe peace and joy. The last hymn we'll sing in the service today is by Martin Rinkert, who was a gifted musician at several churches in Saxony, Germany, before becoming a pastor to the people of Elenburg for 30 years before his death. These were the years that almost exactly overlapped with the dreadful 30 years war. And because it was a walled city, refugees from the surrounding countryside during that war, besieged by invasions of the Swedish military, poured into his town. And it didn't take long for famine and pestilence to set in. In 1637 alone, 8,000 people died of disease, including other clergy, most of the town council, and Rinkart's own wife. Rinkart was left to minister to an entire city, sometimes preaching at burial services for as many as 200 dead in one week. Known as a faithful and caring pastor, he gave away almost everything he owned except for the barest essentials to care for his family. And in the depths of the communal suffering that surrounded him, Rinkert wrote a hymn with words now familiar to many of us. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done, in whom this world rejoices. And in another verse, Rinkert speaks of a bounteous God staying near us through our anxiety. Keep us in all grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all harm in this world and the next. Holy Spirit, is a gift breathed into us by Jesus Christ, and it is a powerful gift. It is a gift who guides us in times of anxiety and uncertainty. It's a gift which allows us to forgive. It is a gift which enables us to shine like stars in a dark world much in need of grace and forgiveness and renewal and hope. It's time to unlock the doors of our hearts and let Jesus breathe into us something new. We need it, something that will bless others around us and enable us to practice the profound joy of those who know the living God, because joy is not a feeling, but the reality of a child of God who knows themselves to be forgiven and so take it all in, receive it, breathe in grace, breathe out forgiveness by the power of the Spirit at work in you. There is breathing and there is breathing. Breathe on us, breath of God.